All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hop into these questions, um, and just can you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Georgia Kobanis, and I'm a reporter at the Detroit Free Press. Awesome, uh, thanks, Georgia, for talking to me. Tell me about the project you've been working on. I happened to talk to Lila and Sahela Amen. It's a nice day today. It is. It it's beautiful. Mom and daughter live in Dearborn. We went in the backyard, backyard patio of the family home, and it was just like a really nice sunny day. If you could just start off by spelling your first and last name, your age, and what you do, um, that would be great. And we have that on. So the idea was to talk to members of the Muslim community about um, the impact of 9-11 and how it's changed their lives, you know, on a daily basis. And what did they have to say? Honestly, they're tired of talking about it. Unfortunately, 9-11 has become a conversation piece to talk to American Muslims, when in reality, we're Americans just like anyone else in this country. They're tired of, like, every single time, you know, the anniversary of this horrible incident rolls around that reporters end up in Dearborn wanting to talk to Muslim Americans about 9-11. And it's an unfortunate tragedy. It happened. And here we are 20 years later still feeling that as American Muslims, we have to defend our faith. September 11, 2001 is a date immortalized in history for the attacks on American soil by the militant group Al-Qaeda. The tragedy of that day was followed by two decades of grieving thousands of lost loved ones. Then there's the loss of security that came when the Twin Towers fell, when the Pentagon was hit, and when Flight 93 passengers had to fight back. It was also followed by U.S. military action overseas. And on the ground here, a microscope on and harm to the Muslim American community. To mark the 20th anniversary of these attacks, we spoke to our Muslim neighbors about what followed in their lives. Wary of the feelings of tiredness, but wanting to share the stories they relayed. Stories about the pressures they faced to defend their religion and the unapologetic attitude it's required. I'm Carrie Jr. II, this is On The Line, and this week, you'll hear from mom and daughter Lila and Suhaila Amen, who spoke with my colleague Georgia Kovanis about what 9-11 changed for them. So tell me about Suhaila and Lila. Um, Suhaila did most of the talking. She's the oldest of four kids, and Lila pretty much deferred to her. Um, mom has worked for Dearborn schools for a long time. Dad worked for Ford on the line. He came home earlier than, um, Lila did. And so he would often like get dinner started. It's funny. People ask me, oh, did you grow up on Kibbe and grape leaves? I'm like, no, I grew up on meatloaf, which I can't stand. They were talking about Ramadan and Suhaila was saying how, um, you know, like a lot of times their Ramadan was fried chicken. <laughs> That's what people thought. Yeah. They thought that we we weren't those kids going to school with 
you know, um, stuffed zucchini in our lunchbox. Or it Lebanese. wasn't rolled up or Lebanese, rolled up. Yeah. Oh no, Lebanese you did because it was it well, came was out easy. of it came out of a no, container, mom. <laughs> what did they say about the 20th anniversary of the 9/11 attacks? I mean, they feel like they're like on this apology tour sometimes. Why should I have to continue apologizing for someone else's actions when we don't see other people apologizing for the rest of the nation's actions towards groups of people? Like, I'm really exhausted from people asking me, well, are you a moderate Muslim? I'm a Muslim. It's not anyone's business, quite frankly, how I adhere to my faith or how I choose to practice. I don't need to explain myself. I mean, they were very blunt about being tired about, like, having to defend their faith. When you're at border crossings or going through security, unfortunately, where some... Where do you associate? Yeah, where do you associate? What mosque do you go to? Do you pray five times a day? I'm like, are you sexually active five times a day? What did they say about um, what their experience has been since the events of 9-11? Most of the stuff she was talking about was stuff that, you know, was like five or ten years ago. She said one time she was traveling to D.C. for a day uh, training. And it was right after we had gone to war in Iraq. And I um, had gotten on the flight, no bags. I was just going for the day and coming back. And there was a lady sitting and she said, that veiled woman makes me very uncomfortable. She didn't have a bag with her. It's just her carrying her purse. I wonder what she has with her. I saw her checking in and she didn't have anything. Yada, 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 kept going on. And um, I'm grateful for quick wit and sarcasm because I turn around and I say, well, if you're that uncomfortable, you can get off the plane because I have somewhere to go to educate ignorant people like you. And other people on the plane, to my surprise, were telling her to be quiet, stop talking, you're disrespectful, you're inappropriate. And they had someone come on the flight, and at first I thought he was coming for me. So when he came on the plane, I was like, oh crap, here I go. I, I'm gonna have to leave. So when, he came, when the gentleman came on, I, uh, I thought he was gonna remove me. And he went right up to her and he told her if she can't keep her mouth shut for the next hour and 15 minutes that he'd gladly accommodate her in the Wayne County Jail. And uh, we went about our way and he apologized to me on the way out. She's really no shrinking violet, which actually makes her mother worry sometimes. <laughs> she makes me nervous every time she leaves from the airport. Tell them what you say to me when I get on. Every time she walks out the door, it's be smart and be safe. And she holds me and, hug, and hugs and me like I'm... <laughs> she does. She has a quick wit, and sometimes it's frightening for me. I don't know what the other person might say to her first, but she's got those responses. She knows exactly what to say and when to say it. Um, and that's okay. That's okay, but it makes me nervous as all heck. So if she's coming from overseas, she just really does not like to fly into any other airport besides mm -hmm. Detroit. And the reason being is because people here... Are, are used to seeing Muslims. Um, so for her, it's a comfort factor. Like I may not fly in through Nebraska or Kansas or, you know, uh, Arkansas. I, I'm very conscious post 9-11 to where I travel in and out of. It's gotten to a point where it's unfortunate, but like I don't sleep on planes. I've had people 
throw beer bottles at me. I've had people spit at me. I had someone in Salt Lake City, Utah, I was flying back from Fresno from, spe from speaking at an event. And um, that was maybe around 2010. And there was a gentleman shouting at me across the, literally shouting at me across the terminal while we were waiting at our gate, telling me I was a terrorist and people like me needed to go back to where I came from. And he was intoxicated. I said, well, it's called Detroit. And he's like, he shouted, y'all don't even speak American. You shouldn't be here. And after my crossed eyes went back to normal, I looked at him and I said, sweetheart, can you tell me where you were raised so I know not to take my children there as they will not receive a proper education? In America, we speak English. We don't speak American. And then everyone else sitting around me, no one else was Arab or Muslim around me, got up and they started yelling at him and they made security come and remove him. But it was interesting because these are the really, it's unfortunate, but these are the types of people who actually will feel emboldened to have the audacity to say something out loud. So Hillary has, tends to have like really good comebacks to people. And so she really put that guy in his place. We'll be right back. All right. Hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Mars, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. You ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists who talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. And we're back. This is Kerry Jr. the second. You're listening to On the Line. Let's hop back in. Statements like go back where you came from appear to be testing Suhaila and Lila's allegiance to this country. So many people assume that Muslim Americans didn't feel all the angst and all the grief and all the upset and all the fear that we all felt when we watched that attack unfold on television. Um, but they did. We, were. we we weren't looked at as Americans. We were looked at simply as Muslims. I remember I had a, a reporter ask me post 9-11 what I considered myself, if I considered myself an American or an Arab first. And I said, well, if you're asking such a technical question, I'm an American because I was born and raised in this country. Then I'm an Arab because that's my ethnicity. 
I said, but first and foremost, I'm a Muslim because at the end of the day, when I go to God, he's not asking me for my passport. Do they feel like things have improved? Yes. Yeah. Overall, they do think that things have, have improved here for Muslim Americans. We've come a long way since immediately post 9-11. Uh, we did see it, it had started to dip and then we did see that spike um, Most during the campaigns. Uh, it would have been four or five years that, ago. That the campaigns had started, 2014 and 15. Mm -hmm. You saw that spike in anti-Muslim bias, hate crimes towards our community. There was a, a gentleman who had this trailer that was decorated with Trump and they had flags all over it and it was ridiculous. And he would drive up and down the, the streets of Dearborn in Dearborn Heights, just antagonizing people playing things over the radio, you know, just ridiculous. But, see, then that, that, but it the became surety of that and it almost became funny. It became it a comedy. joke. It's not even it being a joke. It's that we've we've grown adapted to to others who are not appreciative of the community for what it is worth. And um, I think that by doing exactly what they did, having fun with it, not hurting anybody, nobody's getting hurt by it. But that way it probably could de-escalate this person's attitude and let him see that we are a fun bunch. <laughs> what do Shahela and Lila say about how their hijab is perceived? For a lot of people, they see a woman in hijab and they just assume automatically that she's oppressed. She's forced to be in the kitchen all the time. She's not allowed to have any friends. So I was asking Lila and Shahela about that and they were they were laughing and they were saying, quite frankly, I mean, I've, I've never felt oppressed in my life and my hijab, I feel, empowers me. How so? Um, it allows me to be seen for who I am as a person. And she feels good in it. She feels empowered in it. She feels close to God in it. She feels like people see her for who she is rather than what she looks like, her physical her physical attributes. I've never once doubted for a moment why I wore it or thought to even take it off. Even immediately after 9-11 when other people were afraid. Did you feel different when you started wearing it full time? When I started wearing it full time, I was very confident because I was so active in the uh, at the mosque, very active at the mosque. I was working with senior citizens and with the, with the students. And then working in the schools, I was working with the bilingual community. So everybody I was associating with were people from my background or just from the Islamic religion. So I, I, I fit in, so to speak. I just fit in and I was okay with that. As I've always told my kids, you walk into any place of business or any crowd and you have a smile, there's nothing is gonna touch you, nothing and nobody. Because it's how you present yourself, it's how you carry yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you're smiling and, and you share a smile with somebody, either, there has to be something wrong with them if they don't share one back, let's just say. So, and I used to tell that to people in the community who always would go out in fear immediately post 9-11. And I would tell them, smile, you look scared. Yeah, exactly. It makes people think you're up to something. I mean, everyone was scared at that time. Religion is between you and your creator. So Hala and Lila aren't, aren't the only people 
our colleague spoke to about this anniversary. Can you tell me a little bit more about the broader project that our colleagues are working on? So, um, Marian Marini had an idea to talk to members of the Muslim community about the 20 years since 9-11. And the Free Press had a team of reporters, four reporters, Miriam, Nishrit Rahman, Nancy Kepper, me, and a photographer, Kim Mitchell. And we sort of fanned out. We ended up doing 10 different stories. Well, thank you, Georgia, for talking with me today. Thank you. You can find the Muslim in America Project now on Freep.com. This episode was produced by me, Darcy Moran, and Tad Davis. Jeanette Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers, and Peter Batia is our editor. Additional thank you to our colleagues Miriam Marini, Nancy Kaffer, Kimberly Mitchell, and Nushrat Rahman at the Free Press. The music for the show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, rate us, leave a comment, please, and let us know what you thought of the show. Um, All of that stuff, we appreciate it. And uh, see you next week. Take care.